Welcome to Beautiful Business, the podcast where functional evolves into beautiful. And now your host, Stephen Morris. Well, hello. I'm so honored to host my very dear friend, Chris Cooper, in today's conversation. Chris is not only a dear friend, but he's the host of the highly successful business elevation show on Voice America. And he's a masterful consultant who helps organizations elevate their team, their leadership, their performance, and find their purpose. He's also the co-author of The Power to Get Things Done, Whether You Feel Like It or Not. Chris is based in the UK. In addition to his work, he's a husband, a father, a football fan, a quad athlete, and a voice actor. And he's an all-around beautiful human being. Chris, welcome to The Beautiful Business. Oh, hi. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, what, a, what a great introduction. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So let's, uh, let's start by, by asking you to talk a little bit about the work that you do. How would you describe the business that you're in? Yeah, I would describe the, the work as about um, elevating, uh, developing leaders and their teams and building highly engaged workplaces. So that's, the, that's my kind of day job as such. And then I also have this role whereby I help um, to educate the world, really, through the, the Business Elevation Show, which has run for 10 years. And that's where I interview thought leaders and experts from around the world um, to try and help people to elevate their thinking and elevate their leadership. And, and it came out of you know, the, the for many years, um, having a corporate background and, and, um, and also uh, developing this um, business around leadership and teams and, and people. Um, it came out of a desire to want to add value beyond, uh, beyond that and to a, a wider audience, um, which, uh, which I'm very pleased that we've been able to do. I love it. I love it. So this may sound like a, a very obvious question to ask, but what do you mean by elevation? I mean, there's lots of different ways that people could define that. And, you know, kind of like, you know, beauty or a beautiful business, there is potentially some, some subjective elements to that particular term. So I'm curious how you would describe elevation. And then why do you think it's important here today and now? Yeah. So well, elevation I see as being about taking something to a new level beyond where it's been before. And for me, that is a it's an inner journey for a lot of a lot of people in a business, particularly the leaders, and helping them to become the best versions of themselves and to enable them to uh, to build teams that are also the best versions of uh, of themselves and then in a um, create an environment whereby everybody everything flows and and everything is kind of in in harmony with a clear vision and values and direction and and enthusiasm and electricity in the company uh, where that enables everything to move forward more positively and the lovely thing about that is and it probably comes into this notion of um of a beautiful business is for me a beautiful business is is something that flows uh, and it flows downstream, you know, together, uh, and uh, and creates something special for its communities, for its customers, for for people. And and I do feel right now, I think we're at a very very uh, critical point in history, Steve. And you know, the world is in 
in uncharted territory was certainly in our lifetime when it comes to pandemic it comes to in you know, this various kind of crises there's leadership challenges around the globe there's tension it's really an interesting time and i think uh, a lot of people have suffered through that uh, and it requires um, a reset and i think with the issues like climate change etc business can play a role to to step up and rather than become more trusted rather than less trusted and uh, through these vehicles, through these beautiful businesses, contribute to a better whole and a better future. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you and I, Chris, have had uh, multiple conversations, both uh, publicly, you know, on air and privately around, you know, when we think about the work that we do, you and I collectively and individually, we're, we're aiming to choose it in a particular direction that has to do with the world of business. And it feels to me that, that a couple of things related to your elevation idea is that first and foremost, no business will ever out evolve where the, the leaders are within the organization. And so, you know, to your point earlier about, you know, in order for the business to really solve the world's problems or even thrive in what they're doing, the leaders have to actually embark upon a personal journey. And, and a lot of it, you know, we as leaders, when we think about the stage that we're playing on, it happens to be quite a very public stage. And so, you know, we know that the world of leadership, uh, you know, leaders are expected to have all the answers and have it all together and not be seen as, you know, vulnerable and things like that. But the reality is, the more a leader actually shows their vulnerability, shows their humanity, and is willing to do their own work on themselves, the more they can sort of be an example, an exemplar for other leaders around them and for the people that they're influencing. And that can include the people inside the business or outside the business. And so I wonder for you, Chris, the, you know, how has your personal life philosophies or your own journey of your own either elevation or evolution, how has that influenced the work that you've done? And I know your show has been over a 10-year journey, and we just had this great celebration a few weeks ago, uh, celebrating your 10 years uh, of your business elevation show. So I wonder like, how you've changed and how you've evolved as a leader throughout that process. Well, well I think, I think um, to, to my, 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 my journey, I think what we start off at Steve and you and I have talked about this. We start off quite, quite eye focused, and you know it's about when you're younger, it's about getting a career and getting it off the ground. It's about earning earning some money because you want to maybe buy a house and a, and potentially a home and maybe settle down with somebody. And you might like some of the kind of trimmings of that. And certainly through our uh, kind of era, you know, it was um, it was quite quite probably initially you know materialistic, but also. Uh, meeting the expectations of your parent of your parents, I had a bit of an epiphany at uh, at the age of twenty eight. I went on a, my first sort of self development course, and it really it transformed everything. I, I was stuck in a rut. I was at a crossroads in a relationship. My work wasn't going where, quite where I wanted it to be, and it was the discovery of my own kind of purpose in life and 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 my values and a sense of of something beyond myself, of being able to contribute to something beyond myself, potentially, and, and building the confidence to be able to do that, which started to change everything. So I was working in corporate companies like Mars, and I worked for some big, big, big brands, a big food company, a big drink company, and then pub com- restaurant company. And my career just took off. 
Um, and I think it beca- was because I was looking into myself and I was also committed to regular learning. And then I got to a point where I decided to do something entrepreneurial with partners. It worked really well. I needed, um, though, to do so, to to refocus um, again about the, the areas that I love, which was people. And I've been dedicated for 15 years to helping people and through my purpose of enabling others to realize their true potential, every conversation's about that. And what I've had the privilege over the last 15 years of, of seeing is so many people growing through my work with them. And, and at the same time, when you're, you're coaching people, you're facilitating, you're speaking at events, you grow too and you learn when you're doing radio interviews, for example. And I've done 400 and 28 at the moment, hours of business elevation interviews, you learn, so things start to stick. And, and that information, that wisdom enables you to help others to also um, step on their journey at the point in time that they need it uh, and they feel they need it and they're ready for it. And it, it is wonderful to see what can happen as an outcome when you help others understand their purposes, enable them to step up, make a bigger contribution, be better human beings everything starts to improve. Ah, so great. So Chris, t- take me back to the time, take, take, take us back to the time where you made that decision to become an entrepreneur and where were you at in your life and how, what, what was it? What were the either questions that you were asking? What were your, your life circumstances that really invited you into that pivot from I'm going to leave this you know, very successful corporate job or, or these roles in this wonderful career that you've built. And now you're going to take the leap of faith into your own venture. Tell us about sort of where you were at at that point and what kind of the impetus was to say, okay, I'm now going to leave this corporate world, which seems safe to a lot of people and into this relatively or conceptually unsafe world, which is called entrepreneurship. Yeah. Well, actually I, I got to a point where probably, you know, what, what my parents may be hopeful for having invested in my, my education uh, and then developing my career through lots of different roles. I worked in lots of different functions and ended up heading up divisions. And, and eventually I found myself in a situation where I look, was looking after the logistics, the forecasting and the quality for five and a half thousand pubs and restaurants and which is quite bizarre, really. I think you, you know me, Steve, and I'm not the most detailed person. I know I was doing the most detailed of jobs, but fortunately, I had a good team of people around me. And, and then at that point, the company decided to, there, there was two sides to it with two different CEOs. They didn't like each other. They wanted to split. And I found myself as a casualty in the middle of it, as did a number of others. Um, I um, At that point, I've been thinking that, I dreamed about doing this, but it was so political. And this gave me the opportunity and some money to go and leave and do something more entrepreneurial. And I think what I felt was that I'd I'd love to be able to develop some skills and some abilities whereby it didn't matter whether a company didn't want me or not. I I, I had my ability to choose because part of my value sets about inspiration, responsibility, but also freedom and having fun. And I wasn't having fun at that time. So an opportunity came to set up a company with three partners. We did that. We set up a consultancy. It grew to about 25 people. It, it, um, it generated a lot of income. Um, however, it wasn't my passion. It was procurement. It was splitting costs out of companies. And my passion had been about people. And I'd loved it when I'd led teams and 
divisions and I loved it when I when I had um, been through my own self-development journey so I made a, a huge the, the toughest call was that was like a halfway house because I was with colleagues was to then go out on my own really and do something myself which is what I've been doing for 15 years with others who are engaged in it too but that enabled me one step led to another really to to be brave enough and have the courage enough to kind of go out and do it on my own and create the sort of life that I wanted that that fitted in with a, a with a family and gave me the ability to see my sons grow up because previously I've been away several nights a week and uh, and had a huge amount of pressure on me uh, and choose to be able to build a business that fitted in really well with my lifestyle. Um, so that's what I've done, Steve. Mm, very interesting. You know, the author and a friend of mine, Gay Hendricks, uh, in his sort of companion books, the uh, the uh, the first one's called The Big Leap, and the second one, which builds on The Big Leap, is called The Genius Zone. And he has a sort of a framework around what you're just describing, which is, you know, we we go in through our career and we go through, you know, these different zones, if you will. And on the, the bottom rung of that zone, it, it starts with the zone of competence. And the zone of competence is you begin to gain some level of skill and competency at a particular job role or function. And then once you, you gain a lot of traction in that, you, you gain mastery in that competence and you go into this realm called the zone of excellence. And the zone of excellence where you become uh, incredibly good at something, it probably pays you really well but it doesn't quite fulfill you completely. You don't feel like your whole self when you're doing it. And you're not in what he would call this zone of genius. And it sounds like that, that, that career pathing that you went through, you went through the, the corporate world where you found yourself in doing all this you know, detailed, uh, detailed work, which it really isn't. Uh, you probably learned how to be competent in that, but it isn't probably your, your first love. And then you went into this realm called the zone of excellence, which it sounds like the first consultancy where you were working with uh, procurement and things like that. And you were probably doing wonderful work within that, but it sounds like it didn't really bring you alive. And then you did your own sort of dreamily release and building what you currently have in, in your business and your consultancy to do what's called your genius work, which is a combination of work that you're very good at, work that compensates you very well, but also work that enlivens you. Is that all sound accurate? It's, it, sounds, it sounds really accurate. What, what I would say is that, uh, yeah, yeah I, I got off the... I got off running very quickly, actually, even though I took, I took a pivot. Um, I was relating the work I was doing more related to a, a training role I'd had at, at Mars. But I've, I would say that uh, I, I was very good at it. But it's probably only in, you know, after a number of years, I really would say that um, I'm now, I can honestly say, and this may sound a bit, bit conceited, but I'm really good at it, you know, and, 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 but without without having that, that complex inside where you, you're not quite sure. Do you know what I mean? I, I know that I'm good at it, in a, and I hopefully in a, a humble way, but it has taken a lot of years of reading and working with clients and delivering projects and, and getting the results back. Uh, that's uh, given me that confidence to kind of sit there in a, a knowing place, really, but a, a hopefully a humble place with it. Yeah, Chris, I don't think you have to worry about the humility side of it. Uh, you and I go way back and you are one <laughs> of the most humble, uh, kind human beings that I've ever met. So, uh, yeah. Thank and I think so it's, yeah, thank you. And, and I think it's actually okay to, to own the things that you feel like you're incredibly competent at and, or even an expert at. And, 
you know, frankly, it's why people hire you it because you have an expertise in a particular area. And that really is nothing more than value creation. So, you know, people that I'm sure that hire you and I know that hire me, they hire us for the expertise that we bring to the table. And it's, it isn't per se about the expertise or about the, the labels or badges of that expertise, but it really ultimately is about what that expertise can do for those organizations and can, how it can help them, in my words, evolve and in your words, maybe elevate. And yes. I, I think there's a beautiful thing to, to actually owning those things and stepping up into, even in your business elevation show, uh, a role where your our mutual friend Gene Early would say you become then this elder, this uh, a wise leader that can hold a platform, and in and in the business elevation show I've seen you do it, hold this wonderful platform where you invite these world leaders into a conversations about their work in the world. So I wonder, you know, the you know you've done. I think I think you said two hundred and twenty-eight episodes or five four hundred twenty. Yeah, sorry, it's my <laughs> dyslexia. Yeah, four hundred and twenty-eight conversations with with business leaders. And I know that you know just a short while ago you celebrated your tenth anniversary. What what are you learning from from folks? What are some of the key things that you learn from business leaders, uh, and not just business leaders? I know you work with you know, community leaders and uh, leaders who are doing all kinds of things, not just in the world of business. Are there any key things that constantly come back to you as themes that, that you've learned or that leaders need to know? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I, I, I think it's really, really interesting that because I, I think for a number of years, a lot of the themes that were coming through were, were ones about, you know, uh, doing good sales and marketing and winning new clients and nego negotiating so it's kind of win-win and and then we started to go through phases when you know there's a more uh, more kind of rather than getting you know winning and getting results and beating the competition it became started to merge more into kind of kindness and caring and and, and building um, engaged teams and engaged people uh, I think um, the theme of presence started to come through. You know, I remember having a great conversation with Marshall Thurber and we talked about um, be, you know, being more interested than interesting. And so I think, um, you know, whereas at the early days, maybe something like meditation and well-being would have been very woo-woo, it became kind of quite mainstream to, to talk about and much more accessible to people. And, and that realisation that it starts with you and it's about us. And then I think as the show has progressed, it's become more worldly in that we've got, we've got challenges all over the world right now. And uh, it's a really pivotal point in the history of the pandemic. And, and it became somehow more, more kind of real and grounded, but also um, probably you know, a bit prophetical in some ways, you know, predicting where things may May, may go to. We started talking about things like cryptocurrency, which I'd never spoken about before, about sovereign wealth funds, where huge funds like China is in competition with, with the United States, et cetera, due to the enormous wealth that they've amassed uh, through you know, constant strategic effort for, for many years in, in building up these massive funds and buying up. So we started to talk about those sorts of things. And I think now a theme the last few weeks has been about you know, the great reset about how, you know, all of these challenges and issues are coming uh, together right now. And they, you know, they may come together in some kind of a big bang 
we don't know yet, but out of it, we, you know, a better way of being one that is more helps the climate and is more sustainable and, and resolve some of the issues like, you know, it become more, you know, less, less unequal and more equality. And so I think the conversations have got more, more serious in some ways, but I, what I'm hopeful for is that through these conversations, we, Steve, we're making a, by, by sharing these and helping people think and deal with the pandemic, et cetera, um, and deal with hybrid working and things like that, where we're getting to a point where we're, we're able to hopefully start to align people and bring them together to, to truly um, deal with the challenges together rather than go into bitter, bitter isolation and, and uh, uh, in very kind of, uh, narrowly um, thick bounded um, uh, walls and divides. Yeah. 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 I find it really interesting what you just said about the conversations getting more serious, you know, uh, depending on the way um, a business leader or any leader would think about things, but especially a business leader. Uh, I think the way things used to be was that if you were serious in business, it was all about making profit and really yeah. growing the company as quickly as you can. And, you know, things like shareholder value and uh, investor yep. value and things like that. But really, it sounds to me like the the arc of change that has begun to happen is that the quote unquote more serious conversations have to do with the addressing things that go beyond just the me part of it. Um, me as the business leader, what serves me best, what fills my bank account more and more and more, rather than a we oriented, hey, we as a global society have these issues that we're facing and we as business leaders have an opportunity and a position to potentially address, solve, and be the remedy for some of these things. And it sounds like some of those conversations are heading much more in that we-oriented direction, as in we collectively as, as a humanity. And, and, and related directly to that, we collectively, the issues that we're facing that aren't just a hyper-local, although that could also be a we-oriented thing, but the platform that you're holding in the Business Elevation Show is a very global we yeah, I think I think you summarised that really, really well. And I think there's a kind of a theme I've been mindful of. It says we've got to protect our own subconscious minds and our belief system because we can today there's so much information available. We can very easily uh, adopt a, a viewpoint, find other people who support it, and become become a uh, you know a, a vocal minority, which may or may not be contributing to a better world, or may not not be have the firm foundations that we might think it has, and. Uh, and there's people who are very happy and keen to kind of indoctrinate us uh, into interviews. So I think it's um, just important just to be mindful and protective that what we have to do is we have to, whatever we believe, we have to leave ourselves in a state that is positive, enables us to have a good life, um, keeps us feeling hopeful and keeps us contributing to a better world and not a more divided one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a great, great lesson and great insight. I wonder, you know, you think about the leaders and let's put them just, you know, for a moment into two different camps. Um, you know, one leader set might be those leaders who are very me oriented and, um, you know, looking to primarily, you know, fill the bottom line and make a, a, a good deal or a great deal of profit. And then on the other side, you have the more we oriented leader who is, you know, looking to, you know, measure success in their business from a, a wider spectrum of measurements 
And that might be addressing some of these bigger global issues, but it also might be taking care of the people within within the business, uh, the customers, the the stakeholders, the employees, and things like that. I'm curious if you have any feeling about what the linchpin difference is to from the, the leader in camp A versus the leader in camp B. And if there's some type of um, pivot point that a leader might make that reframes their their attention, their presence, their mindfulness to go in the we-oriented direction. Quite interesting. I, th- I think, <laughs> cl- clearly, I think people people do get very can get very driven about money particularly if they've got shareholders sitting behind them but it it almost takes some kind of a an epiphany and that epiphany might come in the in the case of a broken marriage it might come in children not wanting to talk to you anymore it might come in um, a health issue it might mean somebody some you know, an intervention from someone like you or I Steve or uh, you know, it's 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 a, it's a moment whereby there is a a paradigm shift because what somebody realizes is that their life actually by being so focused on profit, profit and making money, they get to a point where they don't need any more money really to to live and it, and it becomes about ego etc. But some things start to break down, and I think what um what it takes is uh, that that kind of pivotal moment, a moment of maybe of pain to kind of start to reinvent yourself, start to realize that you need to look at yourself and realize that actually you might have been making money, but you've also lost a lot of your people because some of them are unhappy and you've got difficult relationships with suppliers. And you start to realize actually, rather than blaming others for that, I need to look in the mirror because those consequences have been as a result of who I am and how I've been behaving. And I think it different ages, um, you know, that can maybe at different times in some people's lives, some never get it, but most people do at certain certain trigger points and they realize that I need to, I think most most good leaders do anyway, and our definition of a good leader may may um not be the a typical one. But I think I think when once those moments happen, uh, I think a lot of people start to um realize that maybe there's a bit more. You know, maybe there's a bit more. Maybe there's some things I don't know that I need to learn. And and ideally, what we want to get people to become is the best version of themselves, and not um not a version that is um is destructive and damaging. Does that help? (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. We we as human beings cannot travel a path in life where some heartbreak, some challenge, some crises isn't going to befall us. It's, it's actually sort of part and parcel to the kind of the human condition. It doesn't define all of what the human condition is, certainly. But, you know, we, we, we tend to hold the, um, a suspended belief that none of us are going to get out of this alive. And then, you know, when we think about the, the converse version of that, which is, you know, life is precious and our time here is, if seen, if you believe that life is precious, our time here then is an investment into the experience of being a full human, however one might define that. And we're going to be confronted by all kinds of obstacles in life, uh, all kinds of heartbreak. And, and that, to your point, to your early point, it might be uh, a dissolution of a marriage or a bankruptcy or embezzlement in a company or 
you know, having a child that has some type of disease yeah. or, or all kinds of things are, that are just natural circumstances of the way that we move through life. And, and then all of a sudden, when we're confronted, it seems like with those things, those real heartbreaks, those real life realities, it does seem to wake people up into uh, this epiphany point where one begins to ask the question, as Mary Oliver would say, what will we do with this one wild and precious life? And I think that our, our opportunity is to make a, make a decision of, of the road that we'll travel in life, which is... Do I want to travel the me-oriented road or is really life so valuable and precious that I would prefer to travel the we-oriented road and live in a sense of wholeness throughout that particular journey as one might define it? And I, I do find it more and more often that business leaders are having these either epiphanies or awakenings. And some of those might actually fall into the category, and this has been my experience, where they've made just a, a ton of money in their business. And yet they realize that, wow, you know, I've got, I've, I've got enough money to retire or, or, but I love working. I love contributing to the world and I don't feel completely fulfilled. And, and then they make a decision about what is it that I want to do with my life or what is it that I want to do with my business? And I, I see a lot of people and some of the people that hire me actually are going through their own reinvention to say, you know what, I'm going to double down on my own belief systems, my personal belief system, and I'm going to infuse them within the business that I'm running. And I'm going to build that business to not just only make profit, which they certainly do, but also to serve the world in some way, shape or form. And I wonder if you're seeing that as well in some of the consulting work that you're doing with the organizations that you work with. Yeah, I, th I think so. I think, I think, I think there's a point where it starts to become as particularly as we get older, we go over we go over a threshold which um which becomes not just about things like money, it becomes about legacy for for many people. And it also becomes about for some people about um you know, creating the life in the latter part of their life that their life that they that they really want to create. Uh, which fully fulfills them and fully brings them alive. So sometimes I'm working with companies to help them move towards an exit because the owner wants to exit and wants to venture into a new into a new phase where they feel they can be more themselves. And sometimes that is is a new phase that we you know we we have conversations and we help them to design and 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 decide exactly what that it was, but they want to leave the business in a good shape. Um, and ensure that their staff are well looked after and they're well cared for. So, so yeah, I think we go through different stages, and I think we're say we're at a very interesting time in history as well, where maybe there is a bit more, there's a bit more realization from some where our behaviour needs to move to, and for some of us, we we start to move into a actually it's, this is not just about impacting my my business and those people within the business. It's actually a much bigger calling. It's how do we impact? The world. How do we impact our community? How do we make how do we make a difference so it becomes even more more we in in scale? Yeah, very good. Uh, I want to shift gears here just uh, for a moment, and I, I know you're a big fan of Rumi, and uh, mm. I want uh, if you want to tell me the story about how you got sort of introduced to the world of Rumi and 
and sort of what um, what that has meant to you and your world. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was, I had a number of opportunities through through particularly through my radio show to go and do some interesting things. And, and one of those, I, and I realised I'd, I'd turned down a few. I had a lovely opportunity to go to Hollywood and get interviewed to all, all sorts of interesting people, and I didn't didn't take it because I didn't want to leave the family and at a particular point in in our family life and and then I got an opportunity to go to Kenya and I did I did that and met Jean actually and we we spent time with the Maasai tribe and which was wonderful and I, and I decided to keep on taking opportunities and one that came up which was very unusual was um, from a gentleman called Dr Mansour Malik and Mansour had founded uh, something called the um, International Diplomatic Business Club, which had got 3,000 members who were members of royal households, senior diplomats, senior business people, and they were having meetings um, all about how you know we could get to know each other better and and be more compassionate and make a difference. And and, and I, I did this interview with Mansour. We got um, a huge amount of interest, and it surprised me. And Mansour met me and said, uh, love to take you out to dinner. Took me out to the Ritz in London, which is was a real treat for me. I'd never been before, and uh, and invited me to go on a a little trip for a few days to to um, the home of Rumi in Konya in Turkey, and to do some interviews uh, around the you know famous annual celebration where you meet the the whirling dervishes um, and the the uh, Turkish Parliament uh, always join every year and sit and watch and. Uh, and various different uh, people from uh, from Turkey, and it's televised. And I got an opportunity to interview the blood relative of Rumi. I got to uh, interview um, the head of the Whirling Dervishes, who's also a cultural minister and uh, a hotel chain who run their business, the hotels based upon Rumi principles. And I realised that you know, a lot of the work and the sayings and the uh, and the, the the kind of poetry from Rumi, who was born in the, I think, the 13th, 12th, 13th century, was just very, very relevant today. And um, I, you know, some of those, some of those kind of words and lessons I have taken into, into, uh, into my work um, and, uh, you know, sit with me and they inspire me. Can I give you, can I give you, give you an example? I'll just tell you a short oh, Rumi yeah. poem. Please, yeah, um, so, that'd be great. So I, 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 I met and interviewed the a, a guy who ran uh, some hotels uh, as they were they were part of um, the Novotel and Ibis, and he he had some hotels that he ran, and and I went up into his offices in the Konya, and I noticed that had that had a um, a a little line on each of the doors of the office, and basically what they did is they related to a roomy poem. And this Rumi poem goes in generosity and in supporting others, be like a river. In compassion and grace, be like the sun. In concealing others' faults, be like the night. In anger and in fury, be like the dead. In modesty and humility, be like the earth. In tolerance, be like the sea. Either be as you are or be as you appear. And what I experienced from the hotel, my flight was cancelled several times because of fog. It was the week before Christmas. I was concerned I was not going to get home. Uh, apparently, this is a common theme in Konya in Turkey, getting thick fog and smog. But um, I found myself stranded in, in, in this hotel. And um, once the hotel realised that, they look, could not have gone 
you know, further in their generosity in supporting me. They, you know, worked with the airline because I couldn't understand Turkish to, to get flights rebooked. They said, you know, this, go and have an a la carte meal tonight. It's on us. And believe it or not, when I left, there was two nights of, of extra hotel bill. And they said, um, no, uh, we'd like to give you those as a gift. As a gift. Mm. And, uh, you know, that hotel train, I would recommend for the rest of my life. <laughs> uh, and, and the way they look at me, and I still have a relationship with them. Um, but they used each of the lines of that, that, um, that poem by Rumi to run the business. They were calm. They didn't get angry. They weren't bitching behind each other's backs. You know, they were quiet. They were compassionate. And they were all, the staff were all modest and they were humble. So, you know, I love the way that that had impacted a business culture. I love that. I love that on so many different levels. And uh, do you know the name of that Rumi poem? I, what I would love to do is put it in the, the show notes for people to read. Yeah, um, I will have to. I can't remember what it was okay, called we'll, actually we'll just put it in the show notes yeah it'll be there yeah, for folks yeah. yeah so so chris the 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 title of this podcast is the beautiful business or a beautiful business and the interesting thing about beauty uh, as a term as a word is that it has a you know relatively subjective nature to it and you know it's part and parcel to to my new book that's coming out and on also to a fair bit of the work that i do in the world and you know, that Rumi poem uh, was quite beautiful. But I wonder if I offered the phrase a beautiful business to you, how would you describe that? Oh, I would describe it as something that where everything flows. So it flows from a, a place of a good, a good heart, a good vision, a good intention. It flows from the desire to look after its people to look after its communities, to, to make a contribution to the world. It has a warmth, it has an energy. It becomes both, it's both internally attractive for the people who work there and externally attractive for the people who connect with that company and, 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 a, and a desire to be with them, to be employed by them, to learn, learn from them. And, yeah, it has. It kind of has a glow. It has an energy about it, uh, and uh, I think that's where where we and, and it can overcome crises and it can overcome issues together. And and as part of that beautiful business, you know, the currency that we operate in is 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 a monetary one. Um, it has to also generate money to enable it to um, look after the people within it and look after its customers. So it's not one which is a charity is, is a charity. Um, necessarily, although uh, charities um, can also operate with a model like that. But it, it's one, I think, it, it's got deep care and probably at the centre, it's got love, actually. You know, people truly love to be there, to be a part of it. And it stems from doing business for good rather than doing business to have more, utilise the world's resources, uh, damage, you know, to make a profit at all costs. Yeah, That's my so gut good. feel. I wasn't. Sorry. I didn't plan that. Just what came out. I love it. Are there any businesses, Chris, that come to mind? Uh, and and there might not be any here off the cuff. Uh, but are there any businesses that come to mind that might fit that description? Well, I, I think what we're talking about. I mean, I mean, people. You know, people will talk about. They've talked about. You know, companies like Zappos in the past, haven't they? And Patagonia, 
Uh, I was I interviewed last week Judy Piatkus who had a, a publishing company called Piatkus Books that got sold on, and you know she was a, be, be ahead of her time in terms of the relationships that were fostered and uh, the way things kind of operated. Um, I, I think um, I see I see more companies on the journey towards it, and may, maybe we we you know we haven't fully got there. I think we're we, we're we're talking here about business for the new generation really and uh and maybe maybe there's uh in most places there's still work to do but maybe then it's you know it's a utopia i don't know is it a utopia steve or does it does it in your opinion does it in your opinion does it does it exist i think it can exist i think uh there it you know, when we think about a utopia, I think there's dangers in, you know, having a utopian mindset where everything is perfect and everything is, you know, full of harmony and things like that. And, you know, when I think about beauty or a beautiful business, you know, in the book, I cover this where it's, it's actually not a, a perfect setting. Um, there's, there's much more of the sort of wabi-sabi, the, Japanese mindset of the imperfect within the perfect and the perfect within the imperfect. And so to your point and use these words or some version of that, which is, I, I do believe as a, as a business, they can head in that direction, but there, it, it isn't an ultimate realization. It is much more like a journey or journey like, and it's uh, unfolding discovery. And, and it's the desire to be more and more beautiful or more better, more improved, more valuable every day, every week, every year as the business continues to evolve and thrive. So I don't see the the beautiful business or even the mindsets around it as being a utopian society or even a utopian scenario. I see it as much more of a striving to be as valuable, as um, magnetic, as integrous as an organization can be. And uh, so I won't get into a lot of the details of the book, but that's kind of my feeling within it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I, I love the way you, you put things, Steve, you always do that very beautifully whenever we talk and uh, um, I'm, I'm with you. Great. Thank you, Chris. So one last question. Uh, so I publish uh, at least once a year, this uh, a list of recommended books and it's in sort of in the category that I call non-business books for business leaders and, uh, and so if I offer that to you, are there any books that come to mind that, that might be a, a non-business book that would serve business leaders? Ooh, it's really interesting. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm reading one right now and uh, I'm not, I've got to be honest, I've not, not fully finished, but it came highly, highly recommended to me. It's a little bit scary. I'll, uh, I'll share that because it uh, talks about patterns and cycles of history. And it's called The Fourth Turning. It's an American prophecy. It's by William Strauss and Neil Howe, and uh, it is um, it does it, it's predictive in terms of what may happen. But but what I found fascinating was this idea that we've all we tend to in today's society we tend to think of time as linear, and uh, and, and with with that kind of linear sort of calendars and just moving on and moving on. But actually, what um, you know people did for many many years and different communities do is think of time as circles uh, and uh, and there's some predictive patterns in those circles which those circles are maybe you know 80 or 100 years a, a long human life and 
you know, it's interesting to see what's um, what might might be coming next, <laughs> and how we how we plan for it. So I think um, that's really taken my interest, um, although it's quite a daunting a daunting read at the moment. Yeah, good, great. All right, Chris. Well, thank you. Uh, how can people get up with you if they want to get in contact? What what are what are the ways that they can uh, reach you? Yeah, sure. Um, uh, email address is chriscooper.co.uk or chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Link, probably, um, you know, LinkedIn is probably as good a place as any. Um, it's a website, chriscooper.co.uk. It's allowed to date, if I'm honest, but aren't they, aren't they always? And, uh, and of course, people can welcome, very welcome to have a check out the Business Elevation Show on Voice America and Google that. Um, so, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Steve. Very good. Very good. Chris, always a pleasure. You are uh, one of the most dear friends in my life, and I deeply appreciate your generosity and your wisdom here today. And I'm just looking forward to future conversations and and us aligning our our resources, our love for the world uh, down the road. Well, thank you, Steve. I, I always love talking to you, and uh, you know it's really fascinating. You know, I've never actually met in person, but we've spoken so many times now, and uh, and I see you as one of my 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 dearest friends too. And it, it's always great, always great to know you. And I'm I'm excited about this new book. Uh, I think uh, we need more more beauty in the world, more beauty in business. And I think uh, this is a really really important message for people. Yeah, and and everybody to go away and think about how can you bring more beauty into your lives, into your homes, into your family, into into your work. Um, you know, it's it's important. And also, how do you step up right now and make a bigger contribution just to to this world, the world's problems, and 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 contribute to the solutions, not adding to the problems. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to Beautiful Business with Stephen Morris. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. To download a free chapter of Steve's book, The Beautiful Business, go to beautifulbusinesspodcast.com. Again, that's beautifulbusinesspodcast.com.